0: Hello
1: and welcome to episode 22 of Hometown Glory of Spurs and Culture Podcast. Now, we've got a full house tonight, so hello Ash, hello Billy, hello Rosa, welcome back Tom and a big hello from me Charlie. So, Spurs are threatening to make this season pretty special after all and we're all very excited and quite terrified. So, on the show we'll of course dissect the Roller Coaster villa performance, we'll look at the ever-twisting top four race. We will check the results of Billy's latest Twitter poser, we're going to chat briefly about Spurs women, we will preview Brighton, of course, on the weekend, and we shall give out our latest culture picks. But first, Aston Villa nil, Tottenham Hotspur 4. Tom, welcome back from Wales. First question, how was that? And second question, how did you find the latest Spurs thrashing?
0: Wales was good. Um, I went... Away with a West Ham fan, uh, and our daughters and our five and six-year-old daughters did have a row at one point about <laughs> football. Uh, <laughs> Bella, Tell us more, Bella, whose dad is the West Ham fan. Uh, they were sort of. We gave them pens and paper to draw on, doodle on, and Bella wrote, "Alba loves West Ham," and West uh, uh, Alba read it <laughs> on the pad. And genuinely, I was sort of chatting to the adults and suddenly Alba just screamed in her best mate's face, Bella, do not lie. You know, I hate West Ham, Um, (laughs) which was amazing. And I genuinely had to calm the girls to not row about football. And me and her dad hadn't, you know, there's a bit of banter, but we obviously hadn't rowed about football, though he did make me sit through the West Ham-Leon game on an iPad in a, on a, in a Wales campsite. Anyway, the five and six-year-old had a genuine row about West Ham and Spurs. So a, proud,
1: a proud moment for you.
0: No, I felt quite awful <laughs> about it, to be honest. that We've already passed that down and that Alba was genuinely so furious that someone had told her she loved West Ham. Anyway, I uh, very much enjoyed the Villa win. I think... I just am totally in love with Kuluzewski, to be honest with you. That is my kind of highlight. Obviously, Son Son got the hat-trick. Son and Kane were pretty telepathic with each other yet again. But um, Kulu's goal, uh, or sorry, Deki's goal, and also um, his assist for the fourth goal was, I mean, the fourth goal, the whole build-up on that fourth goal was amazing. But I thought his assist is cut back for Son was so brilliant um, and I cannot wait to see him uh, this Saturday against Brian.
1: He's got to score his first home goal, hasn't he? That's like, I think, he has to. The, the one South, thing... In
0: front of the South Stand, let's go mad for you because he's so good.
1: It's, um yeah, like, it's the one thing left we need from his sort of introduction to us is a goal in front of the South Stand would just be a glorious way to finish off what's been an incredible couple of months from starting with us um, I think I might have watched the fourth goal in particularly like up to I reckon maybe like 3,000 times now just back the way that he like sits down Tyrone Mings and then sort of almost like waits for him to get back up and then just plays it coolly to to Sonny to like place a beautiful shot into the corner for the fourth goal. I feel I feel we're getting ahead of ourselves ever so slightly. Um
0: sorry, just quickly Tyrone yeah.
1: Mings,
0: who is in the England squad ahead of Eric Dyer. Can I just say that, that is
1: you can, and so. you are in good company to point that out, Tom, because I noticed that uh my my king uh Jan Betongen, liked a tweet, I think a Spurs Web tweet where uh they pointed out that Tyro Mings is ahead of Eric Dyer in the England pecking order and how completely preposterous that is. Um, Filthy player Tyrone Mings. And I think we should probably spend a couple of minutes, especially considering the very sad Matt Dirty news that we're all kind of reeling from, um, which is an extraordinary place to be when you think how most of us felt about Matt Dirty, even like three weeks ago. But yeah, obviously Matt Dirty out for the season. Um, Ash, how dirty were Villa? I mean, I saw, obviously, in the commentary, um, Andy Hinchcliffe particularly spent a long time going on about that Matty Cash tackle being, you know, firm but fair, just part of the sort of rough and tumble of Premier League football, et cetera. Um, And actually, I think looking at some of the other tackles Villa made, it wasn't even like in the top five worst tackles, I
2: don't think, like in terms of how cynical they were. Yeah, I think the one on probably Kulisevsky is the worst one for me. Mings, Um, I think it was, yeah. You can can pick out like a few. There was the Ashley Young one on Kane. Obviously the cash one is bad because now Dirty's out for the season but there are a few but I think the cash one was really significant because if he got a booking I think that would have changed the nature of the game. I think they sort of like became increasingly physical because the referee lost control and they sort of bullied their way into it and got a foothold in it so I think that was like the ref's and I'd, I'd love to have seen what would have happened if he had booked cash from there on in. Um, but we 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 dealt with it well, I thought, generally.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I was watching some of it back in my lunch hour today, the first half, as I I missed the first 20 minutes live. And we were run pretty ragged. I mean, I think there's a, definitely a good point to be made about how, you know, Villa got away with some really bad challenges and therefore felt like they had the green light to just go and kick us up in the air every 10 seconds. And that that definitely got to us, I think. We looked rattled. We looked sort of bullied and unsettled. Um, and it took us a while to sort of figure it out. But yeah, it was a weird first half, wasn't it, Ash?
2: Yeah, and I think so much of that comes from Gerard. I think he made a comment like maybe last week or the week before that about Saka and how he shouldn't complain about being tackled and sort of listed his own injuries. And I guess it's sort of just this like very English football way of like being strong in the tackle and how important that is. And I think like it stemmed from him really. And yeah, hopefully that's like a bit of a lesson to everyone.
0: Just, just quickly, the co- who was the co-commentator again?
2: Andy Hinchcliffe.
0: Because he was really trying to make excuses for their dirty tackles the entire time. And he saw absolutely nothing wrong in the Matt Cash one. Um, even though I mean he kept saying that he got the ball. I'm not, I, I'm not entirely sure he got much on the ball. Um, but then followed through. And I'm not um, I hate people who are kind of refereeing conspiracy theorists. I know there are some Arsenal fans who believe that like the refs are all out to get them this season, but the refereeing was ex- really inconsistent, wasn't it? And like you said, I think he, he totally lost control of the, uh, of the game.
3: Yeah. And that's the thing I was going to say, like you can, um, it's fine. if So the referee is going to let all these kind of tackles go. That's fine to an extent, you, you know, you're in for like a really tough game. i are in for, but then like Hojbjerg, like, I think he like went into the back of someone's ankle and he got instantly booked for like his first tackle. It's like, how are you booking Hoybia for that? And you have let all of these tackles go. It's really weird, sort of referee. And I think interesting thing about that Matt a. Cash. There's a video going around now of after the tackle where he's like punching his hand into his fist as if to say, "Come on, guys, we need to keep we need to keep this up. We need to do this more." It's just a bit like, like "Come on, like you know we you know we all like players. You know, like Romero who, who like a sort of a hard tackle but we like it fair as well." And it was just like. It was a bit too far. Like, I think the one on particular Kuleszewski could have easily broke his leg um, if his leg was like fully set into the ground. There, that's a leg breaking tackle. And Tyrone makes, didn't even get booked for it, which is like crazy. And I know he's on he's on nine bookings as well, and Mirror's on eight, so he would have got a ban for that. It's like how how can that not be a booking? It's just it's like the, the lack of consistency is the thing which made it like tipped it over the edge for me. Like you say, Tom. Yeah.
1: And there was mad like that um, that Coutinho chance. Um he had right at the end of the first half where he whipped that free kick in and Lloris had to sort of punch it from under the bar. That was from a free kick where Kulosevsky basically breathed on Jacob Ramsey and Jacob Ramsey just fell to the ground without any real contact whatsoever. And that was apparently the same as a Matty Cash sort of season-ending tackle or you know Tyrone Mings basically stamping on Kulishevsky's leg. So th- there was an astonishing lack of inconsistency and you know we we were lucky to both get through the first half without having conceded but also without you know several season ending injuries really because yeah the one in particular was was really awful. Um, Rosa how dirty on a one on a scale of one to ten were Villa in your opinion?
4: I've been thinking about this a bit and because obviously we've enjoyed like Romero and Bentancourt kind of bringing a little bit of the sort of dark arts back to Spurs. And it's something that we really enjoyed as well in kind of uh, sort of early to mid Pochettino where it felt like we were finally getting kind of good at sort of rotational fouling. Um, And I don't want to sort of get all the arsenal about it and be like, boo-hoo, they like beat us up a bit. But I do feel a little bit like that. And I think it was quite, I don't know. I just, I think a lot of them really went for it as it, I, I just think there is a line between, you know, sort of s- slyness and fouling and actually not seeming to actually give a shit if you injure another player, which I feel, and I feel like they crossed that line. I mean, then they like literally did injure one of our players. <laughs> and yeah. honestly, could, like I think Young could have taken Kane out as well, quite easily.
1: Yeah, we haven't, we haven't, I mean, Ash brought that one up briefly, but that was absolutely horrendous. That reminded me of, At Old Trafford last season when we beat them 6-1, I think it was Lucas Moura sort of had gotten away from Luke Shaw and Luke Shaw just the most cynical foul I might have ever seen actually just like absolutely just took his legs away as he sort of tried to hair off. And it was the same sort of thing. It was just like we're being thrashed. It was so um, I'm fed up. I mean that and the way that Kane went down holding his ankle and then sort of was moving fairly gingerly for a good five minutes afterwards
0: did scare the life out of me. I saw Ashley Young try to sort of half-heartedly apologise when he realised that Kane had stayed down for a while and I think Hoybier sort of basically told him to piss off and that like you know he knew what he was doing it was it was a tactical foul and yeah totally cynical he really if he we'd all be here crying if he'd taken Kane out for the rest of the season.
3: And I think it is one of those things where you know football makes hypocrites of us all because we do sort of love, just mm. it. and he was like again he had that thing where he was specifically targeting Coutinho just because he was Brazilian, which is like <laughs> one of those things that she does, and
1: what do we, which is, we is what we predicted last week. We thought exactly, it, yeah. Yeah, want, we Coutinho to- Watkins, yeah.
3: And I do wonder what he's like in training with like Moore and like Emerson all the time because he literally does seem to just target Brazilians all the time. But I just think that, <laughs> that like we don't want like you say we don't want to be in danger of being, becoming Arsenal fans about it. But it was just like the, I do think the ref sort of totally bottled it and he just wasn't having any sort of consistency about it, which is the frustrating thing. Like we can all have a game where you know we take some hard tackles and give some hard tackles in return, but it's just the way that the referee dealt with it, which is the most frustrating thing.
1: I mean, one thing about basically being under siege for 45 minutes or 43 minutes because we did um, score, of course, in the first three minutes and look comfortable for the first <laughs> the first few seconds of the match. It did allow our captain and, in this instance, saviour Hugo Lloris to basically play himself back into top form um, after quite a shaky few weeks. Um, Ash, he was, I mean, that might have been his best ever performance in a Spurs show, right? Certainly first half and he had work to do. Yeah,
2: we would have definitely probably lost if it wasn't for him. And I think there was some stat on Sky. I think he made like seven saves, and it was like a record. And you could see in the post-match interview how grateful like Sonny was mm-hmm. to him, which was like really like sweet. Um, yeah, he was incredible. And I I feel I was thinking about it after the game how he's sort of never in the conversation with I guess like the Edisons and Allisons is like being one of the best keepers in the league, but I think he really does deserve to be in that conversation. And I said in our group earlier, like I'm very worried about a sort of post-Hugo Spurs world because it's something we haven't had to like even think about, but it's like, feels like it's approaching quite quickly.
1: It's all right. We're going to sign uh, Sam Johnston, who none of us really know anything about, and it will all be fine. Um, obviously the Matt Doherty, Situation is really sad because, as we were saying, he's sort of played himself into really, really good form. He's contributed goals and assists, and Conte's sort of really fallen for him hard. I was really wobbling when the news broke last night. Billy managed to sort of calm me down a bit by reminding me that um, it's actually been Emerson Royale that has played right wing back for the last two games two games that we have, of course, won by an aggregate of nine goals to one. So we've not been too bad with Emerson at right wing back. And actually, really, it's sort of Regulon and Cess that will sort of replace, if you like, Doherty, where he's been playing the last couple of matches. Um, Are we, and maybe this is a chat for later on when we talk about the top four race and its sort of developments, but um, are we super stressed about Royale kind of now being our sole right wing back Billy how are you feeling sort of dust settled do
3: you know what I'm not super stressed about it in terms of I, I think we'll survive um, because I think as we mentioned last week I think the system is in place now and Emerson like you say now Emerson Royale's played the last two games at right back and he's been okay Like I don't think he's been particularly good I think like in the first half you are talking about those chances that Hugo saved um, <clears throat> the one for Ramsey um, he just got absolutely spun mm-hmm. um, and that happens you know quite often in his um you know, he does have a tendency to get quite beaten quite easily, but I, I think it'll be fine. And I think the, the sad thing about it is, me, I'm just a bit glad for Doherty. Like, he's been so good. This, he's probably been like the story of 2022, like his comeback story. And the fact, uh, I think, I'm more sad about that and the impact it will have on him rather than the impact it will have on the team. It's just such a shame, really, to actually come back from literally. He was, you know, he was our most hated player, like our biggest scapegoat. Um, he barely had a single fan amongst, you know, amongst any of us. Um, in the wider fan base and he's totally turned it around and the fact that that's been sort of snatched away and he won't be back until next season and we will probably buy another right back in the summer um, it's just a real shame for him I really do feel quite sorry for him after everything that's happened
1: um, Yeah get well soon Matthew as Antonio was calling him Matthew and it was really sweet and they had this whole thing going it's just it's just really depressing um,
0: I was just going to say it says a lot that we had regulon and Sessegnon fit at the weekend and he still played Doherty at left back and he has been playing really but well and he's a presence in both boxes, Doherty, which none of our mm. other fullbacks are really. At the very least, he's like a lump who gets in the way um and has a physical presence. And none of our other fullbacks offer that, do they? Um so yeah, it's um be interesting to see what he does with Regalon and Sessignon now. They're both fit
1: Yeah, Rosa, who would you pick? Obviously, it felt like, I mean, Regalon came off the bench, so maybe has got back to being sort of first choice or something close to that. Who would you pick?
4: Um, Even though I'm a real Cess cheerleader, I think probably at this point in the season, it's going to have to be Reggie, isn't it? Just, he's, I don't know, I feel like he's played more games. There's just a bit more experience there. Like, it's such... Like it's real crunch time now, isn't it? I don't really I don't really feel like there's time enough for Sess to kind of work his way back into form. Um, maybe that's being unfair, but it just doesn't feel it just feels a bit wobbly somehow to have both like defensively to have both Sess and Emerson. There's something about it that just doesn't feel quite right, and maybe that is just because that's just purely like that's just what I've seen, and um, like Conte picked on to come on, and so I think, oh well, that's it. Mm. But that I think that's probably who it will be, and that's that would probably be my pick anyway. I like, you know, I'm like the rest of you. I'm not super worried. I think it's just a bit of a shame because I do feel like we said the only thing that can stop us now is injuries and like immediately we've had an injury so it feels a bit brutal but if there was going to be an injury to anyone like even though the fullbacks are so critical they are ultimately like our weakest players aren't they so it's not we haven't like we haven't had a key player taken out uh yet (laughs) touchwood
3: And I think one thing on the Emerson Royale thing is that <clears throat> when he was first in the team under Conte, Romero wasn't um, and if you look at like, the Newcastle game as a blueprint like Rem- em- uh, Emerson was effectively babysitted by um, Romero and they both sort of double teamed on St Maxman that was really really successful so I think I think you're going to see quite a big difference in Emerson Royale now that Romero is in the team because, you know, a lot of the game, Romero does sort of spend it in that right-back position. I where sort of one of our goals came from when he sort of pinged that ball over to Kane and then headed on to Son. I think I think Romero will sort of sort out Royale, so I think we'll be fine, to be honest.
1: Also, the fact he's now going to have Kulu playing and has had Kulisevsky playing ahead of him rather than Lucas because there were moments where like you say, Billy, it was like Sanchez or Tanganga playing right side of centre-back and Lucas playing right-wing with Royale at right-wing back. And it was just like terror all around. Like no one could keep hold of the ball. No one knew what they were doing. The positional play was dreadful. Whereas now, I mean, I think, you know, we saw that for the fourth goal at Villa, right? Where sort of Emerson, I think, nicks the ball, plays it up to Kulisevsky, does that lovely little turn and flicks it over to Emerson. He plays a nice first-time pass into Hoybier, I think it is. And then, you know, there's just that crispness and that confidence that playing with people like Kaliszewski and Romero give you that, you know, he just did not have when he was um, in that sort of axis of terror with uh, sort of Dav and, and Lucas. Um, we should spend a little bit more time. I feel like we've sort of spoken about Dirty Villa, we've spoken about the kind of tragedy of Matt Dirty's injury. We should be, you know, over the moon, right? We've just had a weekend of dreams, like starting with Wolves losing, then United, then Arsenal, then us winning. It's been it's been amazing. And you know, we should, I think also, I think Tom touched on the sort of tele, the sort of purely incredible, like telepathic thing that Sonny and Kane have got going. I think Sonny is just hit his like dream form, seemingly at the absolute best time. And you know he's now the highest Premier League golf scorer if you don't include pens. He's got what is it nine and nine or something? It's it's extraordinary. Ash, uh, are we? Is this the very best of of Sonny? Do you reckon?
2: Yeah, it feels like it. It feels like it. And I think not to bring it back to Kulisevsky, but I think like him coming in has like helped all of them it now feels like a really like solid front three so um, yeah Son's looking amazing Um, and hopefully he just carries us to top four along with Kane
4: he's now our like tenth highest goal scorer of all time it's mad like yeah that just like as of yeah as of Saturday it just suddenly happened without us without any of us kind of really noticing it right it's wild
0: as you touched on Charlie as well he could he could still get the golden boot. I mean Salah's on 20. Uh, Sonny obviously doesn't take any penalties. We've got a very good penalty taker, but um yeah, he's only 3 3 off Salah. Um and way ahead and we, of um, and, you know, Jetson we've been Mane.
1: yeah, and we're scoring, you know, touch when it continues, but we're, you know, we're scoring at such a clip now that you could see him getting you know, having games where he's scoring two or three, hopefully. We'll we'll get on to uh, how we think we'll do in the next few games. Billy, you gonna talk a little bit more about everyone's favorite player?
3: Yeah, kind of. And then like it's weird that we've gone nine Premier League goals and Kane hasn't scored any of them, but we still don't really have any complaints about it because he's been sensational in both games. And that bit where he sort of glances where is, this is all in like the fraction of a second, by the way. He sort of looks over his shoulder where Son is and then there's like a perfect through ball headed through ball. It's like the level that Kane is operating at the moment is absolutely insane, and I think you'd be so worried like, at the beginning of the season if you'd gone like two, three Premier League games without Kane scoring. But like he's dictating everything, so yeah, the, the fact that they're right at the very top of their game, I think, is what's going to be the difference between us getting top four and not getting them top four. And if they continue it, then like I don't think we'll have any problems.
1: You just feel like as well. Yeah, that, that Kane... moment.
4: So go on. I was just I no, just no, no. really wanted to like just take a moment for that moment. That header was unbelievable that just because that was the moment that sort of encapsulated everything that Kane can do, right? Because you just watched him just like that little look to see where Sonny was and where he was going and just to weight it so perfectly that like it was it was like for some for something that looked that is quite simple, that's just like a you know, just a header, it was like a pure thing of beauty, right?
3: And there's also this bit in the Kuliszewski goal where sort of Kane, he's looking at the defender behind him. and He steps back into him and sort of takes him out of the game completely. And then he t- and then he nods it onto Kuliszewski like he is just absolutely unbelievable at the moment. Like the things that he's doing in every single football game that he plays in, it's one of those things where sort of we can talk about Kuliszewski and so on and everyone all day. But I think Kane just does things that are so good that we sort of take for granted maybe as a fan base. And it's like it's just like such a joy to be able to see this this new sort of thing that he's doing all the time.
1: Um, I want to also just shout out quickly uh, Hoybier, who I thought really came into the game strong. I thought he stood up for, you know, we've already touched on this a little bit, but he was standing up for his teammates. He was getting in their faces. The second half particularly, I thought he helped sort of wrestle control of the game back our way. Um, I love that picture he put on Instagram afterwards with his both knees in ice. And there, you know, there was just like, huge sort of gashes down both of his legs where, you know, studs have clearly been flying in all over the place. And I feel like obviously we've been raving about his midfield partner, uh, for a few weeks now. And Pierre's kind of gone under the radar. But it's really, really good to see him back at um what seems to be close to his to his best level, especially as um Rosa's jinx of Ollie Skip's injury has come to pass and we will see him next in about 2024. Um, <laughs> anything else anyone wants to call out or anyone anyone wants to call out from the Villa game? Um, Rosa, you've gone quite a long time without mentioning Ben Davies. I can't. I was trying to think because I obviously always want to come to you and have our little Ben Davies moment. But I can't think of anything that he did (laughs) which might not be a bad thing necessarily because i can't remember any glaring errors but i also can't remember him getting forward or contributing with attacks like he has been doing.
4: yeah to be honest with you i can't either and i also think that's quite good um because you you sort of don't like particularly in a game like that especially with the first half that we had you don't you kind of don't want to have to be thinking back again like if if the defense just didn't the fact that they just didn't concede any goals that's that's all I need to know really um what I really wanted to um mention was I was discussing this the, the sort of the last couple of games with my dad earlier and we were talking about how like specifically how like Villa tried to play us and I feel like they took they tried to come at us the way, say, Southampton did, right? Particularly when we went to Southampton, really aggressive, quite filthy, mm. and it worked. Um, but that was a while ago now. And I mean, obviously, I don't they, they didn't even need to play that well, I don't think, when they came to ours. But that's obviously a template for how to play us in a way. But it is but the f- because we did struggle. We struggled the first half on Saturday and we struggled in the first half of the week before against Newcastle, not as much. But um, those teams both ended up losing to us by a four-goal deficit. So it's like, you can try to play us that way, but it's actually like massively risky. And by the end, um, both Newcastle and Villa were obviously like knackered and it wasn't luck, I don't think. I know that like Suness was like, oh, we got lucky, whatever. But... It's not luck if you've won by like four clear goals. And the other thing is to Billy's point about Kane is that this is, this is, you know, it's hard because there's, there's a sort of Tottenham of it all, which stresses us out and makes us nervous. And I don't want to get too kind of like triumphant about it before the fact, but Liverpool, like, is this going to sound crazy? I don't think it is. Liverpool aside, in terms of the te- the rest, of the other teams we have to play, we do have better players than all of those other teams, right? So this is what should be happening, yeah. Am I sounding incredibly Arsenal about it? I'm no, no, no. I think no. You're right.
1: I mean, I think you're right. I think that you know the the run in does mad things to teams, right? And you know you. It totally depends on what day you catch teams and whether they've got European matches. Sometimes, like we found with West Ham, you know, you catch them at the right moment and they're knackered or they're distracted or, you know, but then... And then if you're someone like Arsenal, you go into, like, the game that they had against Brighton on the weekend. Brighton had lost... Hadn't won in seven matches, seven games in which they'd scored one goal... And then they basically get played off the park for 89 minutes. Like you just have no idea, I suppose, what's going to happen, Um, which is, you know, ensured that we are all completely terrified about the next like six or seven weeks. Um, Billy, go on.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I just want to, I just want to shout out one of our listeners, um, Caroline Stefko, who has a newsletter. And I was just reading her newsletter today and she talks about 45 minute teams and 90 minute teams. And Aston Villa are we're a typical 45-minute team. And Rosa is exactly right. It's, that is the blueprint of how to play us. But you just can't do that for 90 minutes. Um, mm. And that, it's just impossible. And we are a 90-minute team. Like, Conte has made us so fit. Um, and it's no coincidence that both in the Newcastle game and the Aston Villa game, it's the second half where we've run Riot. And it's all because of like our fitness under Conte is insane. It's like, I've never seen us as fit as we are now since like Peach Pochettino area. Um, so yeah, if you like, would highly recommend Caroline and Stephco's newsletter because it's really, really good. Um, but yeah, so definitely I think it's the, the main factor and that's blowing away these teams in the second half is like this fitness that Conte has brought to us. And you just, like, it's just impossible to keep up that intensity for Aston Villa and for 90 minutes. So I think if that does happen, you could easily see it happen at teams like Brentford and stuff like that, who are going to come at us like that similarly. We just got to ride it out and then just hope that our fitness sort of takes over in the second half, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's noticeable as well that we're having these second halves in weeks where we've not played midweek i think the fact that we now have a full sort of conte boot camp training sort of week going into these matches i think even just like it you can tell the game plan is so well like thought out now like it's, they've had a full week to sort of plan meticulously every sort of minute of the match almost and it all and i think the sort of like slightly manic grin that conte has when the third and fourth goals go in watching the old Conte cam video today, it's almost like you can see him just like chuckling to himself, but, like the plan has come off. Like his <laughs> this like sort of mad genius thing that he's been working on has like come to fruition yet again. I and mean, it's clearly, all it's all coming together.
0: Clearly, there was an excellent team talk at half time as well, because yeah, Jesus, they needed they did need a bollocking at half time. So presumably Conte and his the brother who we've established is the kind of Joe Jordan of the setup. Just screamed <laughs> at them for fifteen minutes. Hopefully,
1: you'd hope so. And I think Sonny sort of confirmed that, didn't he? I think that it sounded like there was a lot of uh, tough chat. Um, we should uh, we should move on because we've got plenty more to talk about. Um, we went to Rosa for one of her sort of regular segments on the show, her little Ben Davis corner, but not much doing there. We'll move on to another regular feature of the show um, and one that now has an official title. Um, It's time for Billy T's rolling in the tweets. Um, This week, we asked our wonderful followers to give us in light of Hugo's heroics of Villa, their favorite Spurs keeper performance Um, over to you, Billy with the findings.
3: Yeah. And again, so thank you so much. You've had loads. Um, um, and a few again, as seems to always happen every week, a few will keep coming up, Michelle. I'll, I'll breeze over a couple of repeats as well. Um, but Tim started off by saying uh, Paul Robinson versus Watford when he scored. Um, classic goal against Ben Foster, obviously. Now, this one comes up quite a lot, um, a couple of periods. Um, people talking about Heredia Gomez. So Alex Brown says Gomez at home versus Arsenal saved the free kick that defied logic from Van Persie. And uh, that was crucial for top four. It was that hell of a week of Chelsea then Arsenal, if I recall. Um, GZ said Gomez away to Portsmouth in 2009 second Second half it got peppered like a non league team. Kevin also agrees with that. He says the Arsenal Chelsea doubleheader across four days in 2010. The much maligned Gomez made fantastic saves across the two matches, which put us back on track for the first ever Champions League qualification. Uh, Patrick says Espen Bardston versus Liverpool at Anfield in a 2 1 defeat. Coming on at half time for the injured Walker, He was 19 years old, could have been 10 1 that day otherwise. Um, this is one that I instantly thought of just because it was so, like, such an iconic game for a multitude of reasons. But the young keeper we had years back, he managed to score a hat-trick in Europe. I wonder what ever happened to him. And obviously, there's a picture of Harry Kane in goal um, in that classic game. Uh, Chris Somersell says again, Heredio Gomez, that week in 2010, would be Arsenal and Chelsea. Where he decided not to throw the ball in his own net and became Prime Dino's off to help us into the Champions League. Um, Jack McElroy agrees with that as well. Uh, Ollie, friend of the show. Ollie says Hugo's penalty save from Aguero in 2019, Champions League quarter final. Um, it was perhaps the first star aligning in that incredible Champions League run. I know that was a big favourite of Tom in the group chat earlier, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. Um, an underrated performance from Benny says. Sullivan away at West Ham in the FA Cup quarterfinal. Pretty sure it was the game that Rebrov scored the volley and weirdly we defended the away end in the second half from the solid rain. And West Ham threw the kitchen sink up, but Sullivan was brilliant. And then uh, Rich Gamray says, speaking of Sullivan, it's no exaggeration to so say we'd had been beaten about 9-1 by Arsenal in 2001 in the semi-cup final without him, cup semi-final without him. Simon says, for pure ridiculousness, it has to be the CL save versus Leverkusen for Lloris, of course. The physically, it still made no sense. i probably say that's probably the best save I've ever seen um, from any Tottenham player ever. Um, Lloris versus City, says Louis. Again, the way the season was crazy, he was pretty bad in the first half, but he won us that game just as much as Kane did, keeping some of those shots out earlier this year, 2022. Um, Tottenham Simpson says, Espen Barton versus Everton, I think, great save, barely played again. I think he retired early as well. Um, another one I think we'll talk about in a second, uh, someone shouting out the Hugo save with the Young penalty versus Arsenal, which sort of ended up being such an important save in terms of finishing above them. A um, couple of mentions for Tony Park. So Frederick says Tony Park save of Good Johnson's penalty in the 1984 Cup final um, and the penalty shoot in the UEFA Cup. Uh, number two is Hugo save versus Aguero. Uh, Hoboken Spurs says Pat Jennings and goal at Old Trafford. Uh, Dan is another one that I remember being that personally. But was Paul Robinson starting the chance at the Luddy testimonial. Uh, Steffi says Gomez versus Arsenal at the lane. Got a couple more shouts for Gomez. A couple more shouts for the Lorry saving the North London derby. A couple more shouts for Esmond Bardson. Uh, Conte Season says Paolo Gazaniga versus Liverpool under Jose, I think that was. Um, Steve Smith says Tony Parks need I say more. And nope, you don't need to say any more than that. Again, Sergio says Tony Parks the 84 UEFA Cup final. And I just want to finish this by saying, um, talking of regular features of this show, it was devastated this week that there was no Emerson Royale video highlights been posted yet. So his video editor is slacking. So hopefully next week we'll have more Emerson Royale video editing highlights for you. But he's now going to have his workout. I assume that Emerson is going to play every single game for the rest of the season. So his video editor really needs to sort himself out. But yeah, thank you very much for all those Twitter shouts. You had loads there. Um, yeah, a few of those were the ones that came up in our group chat as well, I think, weren't they?
1: Uh, they definitely were, yeah. Um, Billy, thank you very much for uh, Billy T's rolling in the tweets there. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm really sorry about the Emerson video not being up yet, mate. I I felt like we should have maybe delayed the podcast or sort of put a complaint in, but hopefully tomorrow for you. Um, it's a shame. You
4: think he's done it out of respect for Doherty?
3: I did. Think, I was literally like, just about oh, to say that. You like, you know, I mad down. <laughs> I literally, I was literally just My about comrades. to say that. It's like, it's too, it's too depressing. Maybe, like, maybe we should just do it all in black and white or something like that. Just like, R.I.P. Dorothy. <laughs>
1: um, and thanks everyone, as Billy said, for again just an amazing uh, response to our call out for keeper moments. Um, Rosa, I think you and I um will always look back with well, sort of mixed memories, I suppose, of that uh, Lloris penalty save from Aubameyang in that final. Um, We watched that together at Wembley. um, And Rosa, tell everyone what we did when the penalty was given.
4: Yeah, this is a pretty sad tale of an iconic penalty save that neither Charlie nor I saw because the penalty was awarded. We looked at each other and just went, we're out. And we left. (laughs) the stadium immediately <laughs> I don't, do you know what did we even say anything to each other I'm not sure we did I think we just looked at each other and just left and, uh, and and then we just sort of fled got outside like just outside the ground right like just thinking that's it it's done we're devastated and then there was like another couple of people like huddled around their phone right just saying oh no the pen!" like he saved it he saved it and we're like what Checks, checking furiously realized hugo saved it but there's never like we can't go back in we're done (laughs) and uh we slunk off to um box park i believe where we just had to um wait for everybody else which is very seriously,
1: yeah Yeah. i mean we we reserved you know what though i have no regrets I, yeah. I, I, mean, I and I have no I, regrets
4: because the- I couldn't have taken it. I couldn't, like, I literally, I think, I would have had a heart attack. So you know, I'm embarrassed, but I'm also not sorry.
1: <laughs> I too am embarrassed, and I too am convinced that had I stayed, they would have scored. So I think it's it's basically fine. Um, any it. other favourite moments? We did it, yeah, Tom. We were like uh, like Billy said, we were all reminiscing about that Luisa from Agüero in the first leg. Of the Champions well, the, League quarterfinal. final
0: the one you were just talking about is remarkable as well because it kept us above Arsenal that season, right the only reason yeah, without we it yeah. above Arsenal was Hugo saving that, that penalty um and yeah, the one oh my god the the man city in the champions League uh it was so early in the match that um that penalty wasn't it and we were in, it was one of the first games in the new stadium. The atmosphere it's potentially still the best atmosphere in that new stadium. And when Hugo saved Aguero's penalty, it was amazing. Um, I've just got to shout out Go, Aurelio Gomez because <laughs> I always sat in the south stand at um, White Hart Lane and he was just mental, like <laughs> absolutely mad, like loved the attention from the fans had seemed to have these bizarre rituals of like pre-match touching the posts. And, um, yeah, I just don't know what was going on in his head most of the time. And he had a really iconic chant. That I think people have forgot that is potentially, well, it's quite, it's quite sexist, but also just extremely bizarre. Herelio Gomez, you're the love of my life. Okay. That's weird enough. <laughs> Herelio Gomez, I'd let you shag my wife. Why? Why are you letting Herelio Gomez shag your wife? Um, Jurelio Gomez, she's Brazilian to what? Absolutely mental. Um, so he he was mad and had a mad chant as well.
1: Billy, are you responsible for
3: that? No, it's a bit no, sadly not. I can't claim that one. I can't claim that one. Can't claim that one, Sandy.
4: Do you reckon he Uh, came up with it himself a sort of Emerson (laughs) Royale style?
1: (laughs) The sort of naughty video editor. But back then it was was planting chance. Was that
4: why he didn't pay any attention to the actual goal ever? Yeah, I, I wasn't a Gomez fan. I have to say, I feel like he's he kind of like suckered us into thinking he was good when he played for a different team and like didn't really repeat that level of competence for us
1: i mean i remember him didn't we play psv in a, a uefa cup knockout and he saved about 22 penalties in a shootout and yeah, then he i'm looked not incredible. sure did he, yeah. did he ever did he even ever save a like, did he ever save a penalty for spurs i've got no yeah, memory no. and he gave uh, Ash, another penalty away immediately oh was that Sunderland? was that the darren bent game i feel like there was I wasn't like there some was- awful darren- I don't know. I feel like it
2: was an important game, like a Chelsea From- or something. I don't Actually, know why. You can't,
1: you can't stand Gomez, can you?
2: No, because he was terrible. <laughs> he was absolutely terrible. Sorry, everyone.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't... He was probably the most popular answer in in the Twitch shout-out. Um, I noted there was not one mention of you know Walker, not one mention of Casey Keller, not one mention of... Who else? Carlo Cudicini. Uh We've had some... Anything questions. for
4: anything for old man Brad?
1: No, and he had he had the odd good game, didn't he? Um, I feel like he was quite solid for us for a while. Yeah. One of football's nicest men as well, of course, famously. Yeah. Um, Him and
0: Michelle Vaughan both seemed very nice, although, yeah, Michelle Va- Vaughan ended pretty badly, didn't it?
1: It did. I was going to shout out... Do you remember? Michelle Vaughan played... When we played Liverpool in the last game, sorry, the last season at White Hart Lane and we drew one all, I think Danny Rose scored an equaliser that day. Um, it was very early on in that season, the unbeaten season at White Hart Lane. Vaughan was in goal that day and he was absolutely amazing. He pulled off a, a few incredible, incredible saves. And there was one from Coutinho, actually, that was just out of this world. So he did he did have his moments, but then he just also had a habit of like throwing it in his own net in very important semifinals when he was inexplicably picked, didn't he? So, um, yeah, handsome Michelle was not, was not the answer towards the end. Um, let's keep things moving. Um, let's go back to the top four race. I want to know how we're all feeling because as we mentioned, it's kind, of, it's kind of in our own hands. I mean, if Arsenal were to win all their games, including obviously us, then it's sort of not in our hands. But then if we win all our games, it is in our hands. So it's in both of our hands, which makes this even more confusing and disorientating and sort of mildly upsetting um we've had just had this sort of magical weekend how confident are we all we should probably also look at our predictions um which i mean we arguably we should have just ripped up last week because no one predicted the first set of uh, fixtures correctly at all um looking at the predictions for villa um ash predicted a draw. Billy predicted a win, I predicted a draw, Rosa predicted a win, Tom predicted a draw. So well done, Billy and Rosa, for being confident in the mighty Spurs. Um, Arsenal-wise, every single one of us predicted that they would beat Brighton. Um, So just sort of goes to show this is probably going to have a few twists and turns. Um, And we all thought United would beat Everton as well. Um, So, again... I'm going to ask you all, how confident are we? Ash, how confident are you right now?
2: Um, still confident, still confident. But I'm, I'm only saying it amongst Spurs fans, um, and just playing it down like a lot amongst any other person that doesn't support Spurs because I think it's going to have a few twists and turns, and it's going to go to the wire. Um, I really think it's going to go to like the last game or the penultimate game. So, yeah, I'm just holding it down, and I like just want to have a go at anyone sort of tweeting about top four or talking about top four, because I saw an Arsenal fan make a compilation of like champions league music and their highlights this season. And they haven't won a game since. So everyone, please just remain calm.
3: Yeah. And I think that's, one an, of appeal. Their fans...
2: that's an appeal from
1: us, yeah. our podcast to you. Yeah, definitely. And I
3: think, I think one of their fans was like manifesting. It was like talking about how he's confident they're going to get into a semi-final of the Champions League next year. Um, and I just want to say, like, we as Spurs fans need to sort of do the exact opposite of that. I think we need to just to paraphrase one of our former managers. And I prefer not to speak about it all because I just, I just, I'm not going to say anything until it's done because we've been here before, we've messed up these kind of positions before. I think this is the first time in the race where we're actually, we're now quite heavily Bookie's favorites. We're odds on favourites finishing the top four now for the first time in a very, very long time because this the last two games has totally flipped everything on its head. It's gone crazy in our favour. Like you 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 couldn't dream of a better situation that we've found ourselves in. Um but you know we've just got to keep doing our thing. Um so yeah the less Tottenham tweets about the top four the better. Please stop doing that. We're not Arsenal. Don't do it. I prefer not
1: to say we all just we just recommend Spurs, fellow Spurs fans use your safe spaces wisely. You know, you've got your WhatsApp groups, you've got your text groups, use your safe spaces. Don't, don't expose yourself on on social media for ridicule because we've been here before, right? Um, Rosa, you're often the sort of uh, beacon of common sense through these uh, difficult moments. How, how are you doing?
4: Yeah, I totally agree. I think, um, I want to be I want to be confident amongst yeah amongst Spurs fans because I want us to enjoy this moment like and I think Even if it ends up with us not getting into top four, I want us to really, really just cherish this right here, right now. We've had an unbelievable weekend and all of the results went our way, but we also were able to take advantage of it, which marks it out as quite different, I think, from the last couple of Champions League races Mm. that we were in, where results would go our way to save us from ourselves, which is, (laughs) it's true though, right? That is is exactly what happened. We would lose and then we would be like, oh my God, thank God, everybody else lost as well. So this is quite different. And I do stand by what I said earlier, which is I think we do have better players than all the other teams that we're going to play except for Liverpool and we have a better coach. So that should do it for us. But I don't want to go out in public and say that um, because of course, It is just it's it is literally two games that have turned it on its head, and when we played United, we were like, "That's it, we're we're out of the race," and now we're six points above them. But like seven games is nothing, but it's also so much. So I do feel I do feel confident, um, but I wouldn't, you know, bet my house on Mm. it, basically.
1: I think seeing Arsenal's season take this massive jolt, largely on the back of um, two really important players getting injuries, has put the fear of God in me a bit in the sense that, you know, were we to suffer similar injury losses, we might be in that, you know, similar position. However, I just can't help but feel the momentum's with us. And I, I loved listening to Conte talk about you know, he went full sort of terrifying mafia boss towards the end of his interview with Sky. I thought where he was talking about, you know, when you sent the blood, you have to go for the kill and sort of did that thing where he talks, he talks about that stuff for like slightly too long. And the interviewer sort of (laughs) gets a little bit like awkward and like frightened, but Antonio sort of in the mood and he keeps going and it's, it's actually quite, quite sexy and wonderful. Um, so I'm going to stop talking about that, try and get a bit strange again. Um, Tom, how are, how are you doing? Just to round us off on our sort of confidence level check.
0: I think like Billy said, uh, I just don't want to jinx it. My head is swimming with like plans for if it does happen, if we finish above Arsenal, like the the parties that we can have um the social media trolling that we can do but i I can't think about it yet. our fixtures look favorable but not that long ago we lost back-to-back home games against southampton and wolves so when we were fairly certainly charlie you were fairly confident (laughs) (laughs) that we were going to win those uh, so, um, yeah, I don't want to say anything about
2: it. Yeah, the other, the other thing to remember is that if we do get top four, like Amazon are doing their all or nothing on Arsenal this year. And that's going to make for like an incredible watch. So we just have to do it. And like Kane is just dragging us there. Like he's put like the entire club on his back. And it's just like, I'm, I'm just hearing that Champions League theme tune next year so yeah for him we have to do it like he's been unreal i mean
1: we're we're also
2: literally letting him
1: fly to augusta like minutes after we finished a premier league match so that he can watch one round of golf so hopefully we're scratching his back and he can scratch ours and get us over the finish line um now speaking of confidence let's look ahead to brighton um Good news, obviously, is that we're in incredible form. Uh, Brighton's form has been all over the place until they went to the Emirates. Um, the bad news, I'm afraid, everyone, is that Rosa's going. Um, and, Rosa, firstly, do you absolutely have to attend, is, is my question on behalf of everyone listening.
4: Guys, I'll make you all a deal. If it's going really badly at half-time, I will just leave. I will go and I will find the nearest box park to hide in, and I won't come
1: back. It's quite a journey, actually, from N17 to one. But okay, I'll I'll, 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 do it for us. We'll um, we'll we'll foot you. Coridon Box
4: Park is fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, the other thing is that I'm bringing Ollie with me and he has been the one to like, he's been, he, he was there for the Everton game and he's been the one to like go big with his predictions that have been correct. So I like to think that will balance that out. That's, that's my hope.
1: Okay, that seems reasonable. Um, we'll, we'll order the Uber just to make sure it's there. Um, yeah, we'll have it on standby. But hopefully it won't be needed. Um, Billy, do you reckon Rose's Uber will be needed or do you think we will... Uh, vanquish the seagulls.
3: I think we're going to smash them. To be honest, I really do. I'm <laughs> Super confident about it. Like, um, I just, I just think like the home atmosphere is going to carry us now in the home games. I think. Well, we've got four left, or three left, three or four left. Arsenal, Burnley, Leicester, and Brighton. I think we'll win all of them. Um, I just, yeah, I just think the atmosphere is going to be too strong. Like we're too good now. Um, they also, I also think that little win against Arsenal is probably working our favour because they can sort of like get that. You know, I think they've gone like seven or eight games without a win, or something like that. And I think having that sort of terrifiedness of maybe get being dragged back into a relegation battle, all of that will be gone now. Um, and we beat them twice already this season, once at home in the FA Cup. Yeah, I think we'll smash them.
1: Um, Tom, yeah, they've had you... their
4: good day out in North London, so I think I think that I think we'll be all right.
1: I'm I'm sort of scared actually. I'm worried that they look really. I mean, I only saw match of the day highlights, and I suppose you can never really take too much from sort of five minutes of uh, good attacks. But that, um, the guy that scored their second goal, uh, Enoch Muepo, and he seemed to be, he looked incredible. And hes he was in midfield with Basuma, who's apparently really good. Um, Casado made his debut in midfield with them, who's 20 and apparently he was excellent. So, uh, I am reticent to go full guns blazing. I feel like it's we might have to I don't know. Do people feel like the first half thing could happen again? Ash, do you feel like we might have another slow start in a in a in a match?
2: Um, I don't know if it'll be the first half, but I think like if I remember correctly in the FA Cup game, like Basuma like began playing well and they like really put us, put us under pressure for like twenty, thirty minutes. So I don't think it's going to be straightforward, but I think we will win. Um, and yeah, I think the other important thing is like, we're kicking off first. Mm. Um, and I think to like, if we do win, it's going to put huge pressure on Arsenal. Like it'll be then six they, points, Yeah. They're going to have to win. It's going to well it'll be six points and like, whatever the goal difference is, which we haven't spoken about because the goal difference has been huge. Like, and it kind of feels like an extra point now. So I think we're going to do it, but it's not going to be an easy game. Yeah, the
1: goal the goal difference is now ten. We've ours is nineteen. Arsenal's is nine. Um, so it's ten over Arsenal. We have scored more goals since uh, Antonio Conte arrived in November than Arsenal scored all season. Now, I read earlier as and obviously as I think most people know the, we've scored more goals in the league since the turn of the year than any other club. It's it is mad. I mean, we should be confident. And even you know, I was talking to. Some friends earlier. You know, even the games that we have lost, you know, the United game we should never have lost. Even the Burnley match, which I think everyone was so miserable after that Burnley game, but really, we should have smashed Burnley that night. We had so many chances before they scored. We then, when we sort of gave up after they scored, which was a real shame, but even, you know, that's the sort of second half before they scored, I thought we were pretty good. Um, Yeah. Predictions, please. I want some score predictions. Billy, score prediction? 4-0. 4-0. Wow. Okay, Tom.
0: Uh I'm excited to get back because I missed Newcastle. Um, so I'll say three-one. Uh and Kulu to get that home goal in front of the South Stand uh and we all lose it. That'd be great.
1: I want him doing that funny little celebration thing he did that uh that Reggie And by the way, we haven't spent any time at all talking about how hilarious Reggie has become with his little, like, he's always the first to whoever score. It doesn't matter where they are on the pitch, he always manages to get there first. And then he, like, copies their... (laughs) He does his little copy of their celebration like a little kid in Disneyland going up to his favourite superhero. It's absolutely amazing, and I I love him for it. Um, So, yeah, Kulu doing his funny little stampy celebration thing... Regalon in his wake in front of the South Stand to cap off a handsome victory would be amazing. Um, Ash, your prediction?
2: Uh, I'm going to go 2-1 to Spurs. And I think, Ooh. isn't Kulisewski doing the LeBron thing where he like raises his knees up? Is that what he's doing?
1: Yeah. I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah you're right. Yeah. You're right. Um,
4: That's really hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Rosa, right, so how did you so describe like massively in Congress? <laughs>
1: how did you, um, Rosa? How did you describe Cooley yesterday? I on-
4: like he's fifty percent goober and fifty percent ice. <laughs> it's really fascin- true,
1: though. <laughs> he's a fascinating character, isn't he? He's a-
4: he's amazing. I love him so much. I can't believe how good he is. But he's also like, like he's just so good. He's so skillful. He's so clinical, and he's also like weirdly gangly and awkward.
1: He's he's on he's almost like they just don't make footballers like him. I feel like there used to be footballers like him that didn't necessarily look like these sort of you know like catwalk models come professional athletes like a lot of footballers seem to look like now. But Kulu such a like amazing throwback to sort of nineties footballers almost. And um, I just. I'm I'm, a, I'm like obsessed with him. I can't stop like looking at him. I can't stop like <laughs> trying to figure out his movements. He does.
4: It's sort of that early Kane vibe though, isn't it? Where you're yeah, like, who is yeah. this person? Yeah. Like, how are you so good? You don't look like you should be that good. Like not Kane now who looks like an absolute machine, but. I imagine Kane is clumsy.
0: Um, and I'm someone who is renowned for being extremely clumsy and
4: G- same,
0: generally. Tom. Absolutely Iron, same. Of yeah. Course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's why I like him. And yeah, like you said, he looks awkward. He look. He doesn't look like he should be as good as he is.
1: Um, we just can't stop talking about uh, Dan Kuliszewski on this podcast, can we? But I think that's fine. Everyone loves talking about uh, Kulu right now. Um, Rosie, you didn't give me your prediction. What was your prediction?
4: Ooh, I think I'll go 2-1 as well and it'll be uh, one. we'll, we'll go 1-0 down in the first half and then I'll leave and then we'll win <laughs> uh, Yeah, and then we'll score two goals that I will miss. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm glad that you're prepared to take that sacrifice. That's, that just shows what a good fan you are. Um, I'm going to go 3-2 Spurs. I think it's going to be a real helter-skelter um, mad one but I think we'll get there in the end. Um, I'm also far too frightened to ever predict a sort of thorough uh, Spurs, Spurs thrashing of anyone these days. Um, cool. Well, best of luck to us all for that one, Rosa. I hope you get to stay for the whole thing. Um, we obviously normally at this point we we'll talk about Spurs women, but they are in the midst of their really long international break. Uh, they're not back until the 24th where they start their double header against Chelsea, which as we pointed out seems incredibly unfair. And, um, they then round off the season with away games um, against Everton and then Arsenal, and then the final game, as we mentioned last week, at home to Birmingham at the stadium, May the eighth. A lot of us are going. Be amazing to get as many people down there as possible. Sounds like it's going to be a really fun day, and to yeah, to cheer cheer on and cheer off uh, Spurs women after a really really terrific season. Um, I think it would be lovely. So everyone do that. Tickets are available now. Um, Let's move on to culture, guys. Uh, I'm gonna I'll do mine first quickly. Um I was gonna talk about the Father John Misty album because I was listening to that today and was planning on recommending that, but I actually really struggled with it. So I'm not gonna recommend that. Um the wet leg album is really good. Everyone is saying that though, so that's not very interesting, but it's a really well-realised album that's sort of that's very cohesive and not just the sort of two or three singles and a load of filler. I was very impressed how they sort of tell a story across full album um sort of tapping back into our uh electro leanings the over mono ep cash romantic came out on friday and that is just superb and i can't recommend that highly enough um we've watched a couple of documentaries we watched the jimmy savile one on netflix which is really harrowing and left us feeling really angry and quite sad which doesn't sound like a glowing recommendation but it is really, really well put together. It's two parts, both really excellent, but you will feel quite pissed off with everything. We also started watching... Tom, I know you're a, a big Robert Maxwell guy. Um, we watched started watching The House of Maxwell on the BBC documentary that aired a little while ago. Pretty good.
0: Well, yeah, I read John Preston's book at the start of the year, and it was it's a really brilliant book. And then I went to watch the BBC TV series... And got about 10 minutes in and was like, I don't want it to spoil the book because I really like okay. the book. And I don't think John Preston's involved in the, the documentary series, but he is a, faci- I mean, a fascinating, insane, unbelievable story. Mm. And makes, you know, you think about succession and where they get their ideas from, like Maxwell, that story is more insane than, than what happens in succession, I think
1: it made me very quickly realize that succession borrows more from the family Maxwell than the family Murdoch, like I Mm -hmm. assumed. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, and then my last one is the split, which we've spoken about, I think a bit before starting the third series. For those that don't know, it's an incredibly glossy BBC drama created by Abby Morgan, who's written things like the hour Brick Lane the Iron Lady and the Suffragette for the screen um, it's about a family uh, mother and three daughters who are almost almost all of them are family lawyers um, and it's also about their, their own personal lives it's kind of a guilty pleasure but it's also got really incredible actors in it like Queen Nicola Walker and Spurs fan Stephen Mangan um, Rosa I know you're with me in my split love have you started the third season yet?
4: I've watched the whole thing <laughs>
1: We didn't realise they dropped the whole thing at once. And we were like, oh my God, do we just stay up all night and watch it? What do we do?
4: That's basically, I had like a really quiet day at work um, last Friday. So I basically watched like four episodes and then over the next, and then finished it at the weekend. And um, it's like, it's such a messy show, isn't it? Um, it's it's messier
1: than ever but we've only we've only watched the first two so don't don't spoil anything
4: yeah no me. no spoilers because this is just the kind of show that it is right so it is very soapy and you know so much of it is just going oh nina what have you done uh, that's not a spoiler <laughs> that's just who their character is right um but then somehow i also pretty much cried during every episode so obviously there's something about it that does also get you um and not just in a trashy way in a like oh this does actually really happen to people it is actually quite affecting and it is sort of that there's my kind of own personal kink which is essentially watching really, really, really good actors, like, elevate the material that they're in, Mm. which, like, Nicola Walker is absolutely the queen of. And I do wonder if she's ever going to have her sort of Like Olivia Colman moment, do you know what I mean? Like she's so beloved here, and I feel like we all know what she is and what she can do. And is there going to be a moment where she's just going to be in a movie that's suddenly going to get loads of like Oscar buzz, and then it'll be like, why is Nicola Walker at the Oscars? And everyone will be like, oh, who's this? (laughs) You know, British lady, and we'll be like, you don't know. Step aside.
1: Even um, even her two sort of big roles prior to the split, or sort of during the split. Run, obviously, Unforgotten, which is good, but it is still like an ITV IT like time so... drama. Like it's not that yeah. good. Like she just makes it excellent. And then there was that weird exactly. one where she was a ghost, which was ridiculous. Like the other show that she was in, um, which I can't remember the name of now. But oh
4: God, I don't was, even know if I.
1: That was is awful. We watched like half an episode of that because of we because we saw Nicola Walker was in it and had to give up it's so bad. So, yeah, she definitely deserves a sort of, you know, some incredible writer to do her something, to do her a solid, basically, because she's she's so good and she does elevate what is, and I've only seen the first two episodes of this third series of The Split, but it's just pure chaos. Like, it's just like they, the first episode in particular, they don't do any, it doesn't also have a sort of catching you up little montage bit at the beginning where... The second episode. It just throws the you second, straight into them. It throws you straight in and expecting you to remember mm-hmm. what's happened. Like, we've had a pandemic, lads. You're going to need to, like, <laughs> catch us up on this quite niche BBC drama that we've not seen for three years. But, um, yeah, then...
4: but within Yeah, about it's minutes, really watchable. Like, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. One um, thing that I would... Th- there's a little moment that I always want to mention, which happens, I think, in season two. So if anyone kind of goes back to catch up with it, there's... um a man who comes in and wants to get divorced and it's like a big, I don't know if you remember this, and it's a big surprise to everybody because he's been married to his wife for many, many years. And he says it's because he, you know, he wants to do new things and he literally says to dare is to do (laughs) And then something terrible happens to him, like in the next scene. And you know, because obviously Stephen Mangan is very coy, but I think in the split, they've made him an Arsenal fan, haven't they? So he just gets purely, yeah, yeah, he gets purely trolled by the writers at every turn. It's very, very funny. Uh,
1: My wife, Emily, interviewed him and I made her ask him about that. And he confirmed that um, he's such a sort of ardent, very open Tottenham fan that the writers thought it would be really, really funny to make him an Arsenal fan. And there's like bits in that he has to like wear an Arsenal scarf and he's like on the way to a match (laughs) and stuff and apparently just absolutely hates him. Um, (laughs) But he's, he's also really good. I think that's enough split talk. Um, Tom, Mm -hmm. tell us what you've been doing.
0: Uh, TV wise, I had a lot of issues with Starstruck series two, apart from Rose Matafeo, I didn't, believe a lot of it and didn't love a lot of the supporting characters, I'll be honest. But Rose is very good. And go watch Horndog, her comedy special. If you like stand-up, I like Rosa. Rosa hates stand-up comedy. Um, But Horndog (laughs) and iPlayer is very good and she's great. Um, I'm really enjoying Severance on Apple TV. It was slow for the first couple of episodes, but I've done five now. And it's really hit its stride. The direction is very unsettling and sci-fi. And still is involved. Adam Scott is the lead from Parks and Rec, was he in? Um, so I like that. Dragon's Den, I'm a couple of episodes behind. And the last one was actually quite boring. There weren't many investments, but Deborah Meaden was in an amazing outfit. Cool. Uh, oh,
1: tell, us, tell us more.
0: Well, if you listen to Deborah Meaden's Desert Island disc, she's very cool. Um, she got really into dancing when she did Strictly Come Dancing. Uh, And she, that episode, she was wearing these kind of blue flares. She got up to demonstrate something. Sometimes they get a dragon up to try out a product. She got up and was in these cool flares, but it wasn't the best episode. Uh, It wasn't, it wasn't classic DD. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Musically, you mentioned the Over Mono EP, but the new Floating Points track, which I'm sure Billy has heard by now, is like so, so good. Uh, it's proper banging floating points rather than the floaty floating points. Anyway, and my final thing is uh, The Clash are reissuing Combat Rock because it's 40 this year, the kind of last proper Clash album and the one with um, Should I Stay or Should I Go and Straight to Hell on it. Um, and they found a new version of Rock the Casbar with Rankin Roger from The Beat on it. And he's Mm -hmm. basically toasting or emceeing over Rock the Casbah. I believe it was recorded during the sessions. He sort of came in. I'm sure they were all really stoned in the studio. And he just sort of emceed over um, Rock the Casbah. And it's really good. And sometimes those reissue things, you know, these big heritage bands reissue their albums every five years. And there's like less and less in the vaults. But actually, it's really good and breathes new life into like Rock the Casbah," which is a song everyone knows and loves really well. But that's that's streaming. So the floating points and the clash, uh, the new version of Rock the Casbah," and skip this dragon's den or the, the one before last.
3: <laughs>
0: I'm um, sure we'll get back to top form soon. Don't worry.
1: I hope so for your sake, Tom, because we know how much it really impacts your week. It um, does,
0: it really does. It does. Uh, good picks, good picks. Um, Ash,
2: over to you. I haven't really listened to anything this this week, but I like have started watching the new series of Atlanta, um, which is really good, um, and I highly recommend. But yeah, I'm a bit, I'm a bit dry on music, so you have to come back to me next week when I like get through all these albums.
0: Ashley, how do we watch the new series of Atlanta? Is it is it out officially, or is it ev- I've seen lots of tweets about it, but I have don't know if it's actually officially out or if people.
2: It's have- on, yeah. It's on a very legal stream that takes a while to find. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say.
0: I will wait yeah. then. Thanks. And
1: Ash. is it gonna is it gonna officially come to Disney Plus? Did I see? Is that
0: right?
2: Yeah, I I think well the first two seasons are on Disney Plus. Okay. So I think it probably will be, yeah. Cuz
0: it's FX, isn't it? It's Fox, so yeah. it will now be Disney Plus, I guess, unless the Beeb have done a deal or something.
2: Yeah, it's so weird, it's such a weird show. There's like nothing like it. So strange. I was
1: considering um I was considering a rewatch of the first two seasons actually. to sort of catch me up to the third cuz I feel like yeah, you, it's such an odd show and such a mind-expanding mm. sort of psychedelic thing that maybe I'm I need gonna- to get in the mindset again.
0: Yeah, I'm going to rewatch the second series, I think, because it got... That was weird. There were some really mm. weird bits in there. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah.
2: But, yeah. The cast is so
0: good. Is it Brian Thoree Henry, the guy who was with Daniel Kaluuya in um, Widows? And those two... Yeah. I know that film, Widows, the Steve McQueen film, was about the women, but those two kind of stole it. Sorry.
2: Yeah, and you've got Lakeith Stanfield as well, who's amazing. He's mm,
1: always good in everything, and he um, cool. All right, Ash. Please, please tell me some music to listen to, though, because usually, usually, your picks enhance my week tenfold. Um, so definitely, definitely, have some good ones for us next week, please. Um, Rosa, I feel like I, if I was a good presenter, I would have um, a good host. I would have just carried on our split conversation and then hopped over to you elegantly for your recommendations instead. I've gone around the houses, but here I am back at your door asking for your picks, please.
4: It's fine because now I have loads of things to pick up on because I also wanted to welcome <laughs> Ash into the Marvel fold because I know he's been watching Moon Knight. Hey,
1: so, there you Ash, go, Ash, welcome.
4: You're, you're officially a nerd with me and Thank Billy. Thank you so
1: much. Thank you. I it's hope it honor. feels good. <laughs> you don't you don't look very pleased about that
4: <laughs>
2: Rose has outed me. <laughs> yeah.
4: I'm sorry. <laughs> it had it to be done. because <laughs> <laughs> um, now I'm gonna turn my attention to Tom, which is one, severance is still too slow. I made it to five episodes and then I had to bounce. I was like, I can't. It's it's way too slow for me. Well Rose way the thing- too-
0: But I think the finale was, like, this weekend, Sunday, Monday, and I saw so many people saying how good the finale was, so that's what made me stick with it. Um, Mm.
4: I just can't – like, my tolerance for slow-moving things is pretty high. Um, Like, I've seen most of David Lynch's work, but I just – I couldn't with Severance. I was like, I just – I don't care about these people enough. So I've basically – I've I've hooked into it enough that I want to know what happens, so I've basically just got Ollie to tell me what happens – so I you're know also, but I don't have to sit through
1: it. You're also a fan of Tom Huddleston, were not right? you? So you definitely had a high tolerance for slow moving things.
4: Was I a fan of Tom Huddleston? Oh, that was just a setup for yeah. a half decent. Yeah, sorry, Berger, but I was so you're just
1: not even allowed me.
4: <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, couldn't, I
1: couldn't. I couldn't think of a slow moving Spurs player that I know that you liked, and I thought you might just go with it there. But tough uh, crown. Chaluka? Tough crowd. Surely, he's be right bad. there. Yeah, there he's we right go.
4: There. there we go. Um, right and the now, other thing is, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to defend uh, my man Tom Kapoor of Starstruck because, yeah, I see you shaking your head. I see you shaking your head, and I've been thinking about this because I knew you were gonna come back at me with that. And what I need you to understand about Tom Kapoor <laughs> is that he is is of a very select but noble lineage of romantic comedy men, which is the all-in man. No fucking about. He's got he, He's found the woman he likes, and he's just in. And that, my friends, is a rare creature, and I personally cherish it. So you have to leave that man alone. I do admire that. I just don't buy that he's a film star in the Same. show. Yeah. Sorry. But I said that when I, when I recommended it, I said that didn't but I? Like that they're, not... they're all over the place with, Are you with able how to famous move... he's meant to be. And I just, that doesn't bother me.
1: Okay, because it bothers oh, I'm me the to romance. the point where I, call, I don't think I can watch the second series because I felt so discombobulated by the first that this man was sort of supposed to be a movie star and I just didn't, yeah, I didn't get it. I'm quite. Then I feel for you, amazing. but there's, there's
4: there's nothing that I, I I can't do anything more for you guys, <laughs> <laughs> except um, to give you my actual takes? recommendation this week. Yeah. Um, so I started watching Hacks finally, which I've been so excited about because it's been out in the states for like two years. So Gene um, Smart is Deborah Vance, who is a sort of legendary comedian who's just been playing like every night in Vegas for what like 20 years, and then a younger woman. Uh, comes along to write for her, and it's about their relationship, I guess. Um, The first couple of episodes, I was actually quite disappointed by, because I was like, for a show about comedians, it kind of wasn't very funny. But I'm now three episodes in and I feel like it took a turn in the third episode where it just suddenly became something quite something much deeper and more emotional and it really got me actually. And a lot of that is obviously Gene Smart, who I think is just unbelievable and can do anything really. But it does seem to have the sort of setup was slightly lighter than I think the show is proving to be. So that is on Amazon Prime. And I know Billy, you've been watching that as well, right?
3: Yeah, I absolutely loved it. Like, I was all in straight away. I, I didn't find it that funny, but I just was like, invested in their relationship, um, their working relationship. Um, um, Yeah, I I watched five episodes back to back and I've had a lot going on in the last couple of days. I haven't seen any more, but I reckon as soon as I start watching it again, we're going to smash straight through that. So, yeah, I love that show. Yeah, I'm looking forward to finishing it. Definitely watched the first episode and then just had to watch like four more back to back. Yeah, I really like it.
1: I'm so relieved, Rosa, that you have gotten on board with that show because I know that you've been really, really excited about it for a good, well, yeah, like you said, two years it's taken for it to get to British screens. So thank the Lord that it's not disappointing you too badly. That's good. That's good.
4: Yeah, Um, I'm relieved as well because I was like, oh, my God, I don't know if I like this show. And so, like, finally, when I watched that third episode last night, I was like, it's okay, I'm fine now. It It has been worth it.
1: It's Yeah, that rarely has a show ticked more Rosa Anderson boxes, so I think that's that's a relief for all of us that you like it. Um, and Billy, to see us off, uh, your picks, please.
3: Yeah, I kind of anticipated that you guys would go for um, Over Mono and Floating Point, so I didn't say that, but I did really like the new Peggy Goo um, remix EP, which is out this week, I think um it's got two really good remixes on there it's actually got three but I, I haven't really listened to the third one much but one of them is by um soul wax so i know we've mentioned before and that's really good they're all of the, the track i go by the way um and the other one is by dj cozy and they're they're really really good i would highly recommend both of those remixes of piggy goo um i had a bit of a terrible week with the films i've seen two films in the cinema i saw morbius and um fantastic beasts and they're both pretty poor really fantastic beasts is a lot better than the other two that i've seen um, but still not great um but i was kind really, of can you my...
1: just quickly can you tell us why you ended up seeing fantastic beasts please
3: yeah so so basically i got locked out of my house and i had like a spare two or three hours so I, I got an unlimited card so i looked at the cinema like i really wanted to go and see ambulance which is a new um michael bay film but the only film that was on was either morbius which i've already seen and i'm deaf me Never ever stepping anywhere near that film ever again, War Fantastic Beasts. And this was on the day that it came out as well, it was last Friday. So I was like dreading like the kind of audience that would be there. We have a lot of kids and like families and stuff. This is in the daytime. But I watched it. It wasn't as bad as I was anticipating, actually. It was actually all right. But I think it was probably marginally better than just sort of sitting at my house on the doorstep. So it did just about win. <laughs> went on that front but stick stick
1: that on the poster
3: (laughs) sit that on the poster marginally better than sitting outside your house but it was saved by the absolute legend that is mads Mikkelsen, who is my favorite actor and he was absolutely brilliant and it is much much better than johnny depp was who they replaced um he was absolutely brilliant and he was the only good thing of that film and speaking of which i was kind of salvaged by one of our listeners actually who messaged me on twitter um a guy called andreas who's danish and he messaged me to say, he recommended this film, which I had been meaning to watch anyway. It's like this um, Danish documentary It's animated as well. It's called Flea. Um, it's about an Afghanis, uh, a refugee from Afghanistan who moves to Denmark. Um, and I've only just started watching it, but it's really, really good. I think at the Oscars, it was up for animated feature, best documentary and best foreign language film. And it's the first film ever to be nominated in those categories. And it's also um, produced by Riz Ahmed as well. So it's got like a real sort of, pedigree about it but it's so far so good so thank you very much for that recommendation andrea so i think um there's his own danish spurs podcast called white heart danes i think so well worth checking out if you're if you speak danish anyway but thank you very much for that because that kind of saved my film watching week. i've had a terrible week of films and yeah still loving moon night loving hacks but yeah my pick is um the peggy goo i go remix ep that's really good
1: lovely stuff a nice uh, breadth of recommendations there everyone thank you indeed and thanks for another great chat that was really enjoyable um, fingers crossed we will be chatting with such uh, merriment next week as well um, I'm absolutely terrified this is a lot emotionally right now this run in isn't it and fingers crossed it, good times keep on coming but thank you for listening to us go through it all uh, we really appreciate it always and Billy T us off my friend
3: Papa